This morning's text is Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. We're going to talk about what it means to be a child of promise. And today's text is a little bit difficult to follow. It's unusual uh, kind of argumentation that Paul uses. In fact, I don't know of another place in Scripture where he argues quite this way. And his argument comes from the time of Sarah and Hagar and Abraham when they decided to help God out in order to fulfill the promise of a child for Abraham. And Paul uses Hagar and Sarah as an allegory to teach the Galatians and us the problem of trying to help the Lord fulfill the things which he has declared he would do. He's also teaching us through this allegory the problem of going back to the law and what that means and why it is so foolish. That is why he says to them in the beginning of the book, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. We aren't following Christ if we take the route that Abraham and Sarah took when they, when they concocted the scheme to have Hagar bear children from Abraham. We are not following Christ when we do that. We're following the flesh. And so this morning as we read this, uh, the good thing about this difficult-to-follow passage is that I got to study it this week so I can help you walk through it and understand it better. And if you're still confused, I have good books I can recommend to you afterwards which you can read to help you understand what Paul is saying here. So I'll begin reading in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. So it might help us a minute here to go back and think about Abraham and Sarah's scheme so we can understand what it is that Paul is talking about. Remember back in Genesis we studied Abraham who is the father of our faith. He is the one who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was called out by God to go to a land he had never seen before and he was promised that this land would be for him and for his descendants forever. But there was a problem. He had reached the land, he hadn't gotten any of it, and he hadn't had a son, and he was 90 years old. And he complains to God. He says, look, what are you going to give me? This land? I don't have a child, and Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my heir. And God promises Abraham, once again, you're going to have a child. And he takes him outside, he says, look at the stars, look at the sand. If you can number them, this is how your descendants are going to be. The Bible says, as I mentioned, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he believed the promise of God that he would have children that would be as the stars in the sky and the sand of the sea. And so far, so good. 
then we have a second problem. Because even after Abraham has that vision, no son is born. And so Abraham and Sarah, Sarah first, says, look, here's what we'll do. I'll give you Hagar, my handmaiden, my servant. You go into her, have a child with her, and I will raise that child as my child. And that way, you can have an heir, just as God promised. That's the problem with the false teaching that has crept into the church in Galatia. They were trying to help God with their salvation by being circumcised. God has promised Abraham that he will have children. And the promise says he will have children through Sarah. But Abraham takes Hagar for a wife. And guess what? It works. They have a child. They have a son. His name's Ishmael. But God will not accept Ishmael as the heir. In fact, one time God comes back again. This is after Ishmael's born. And he says, hey, Abraham, this time... Next year, Sarah's going to have a child. And Abraham laughs. And he says, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God says, no. It's going to be Isaac who's going to be the child of promise. Why did God not accept Abraham's help? Why would he not accept Ishmael? Because God wanted everyone to know that he will do what he says he will do. And he does not need our help to accomplish it. He did not need Sarah's help. He did not need Abraham's help in order to bring forth the promised child which he himself said he would give. When he said, I'm going to give Abraham and Sarah a boy, it doesn't matter if they're 99 or 9,000, God is going to do it. He didn't need their help to accomplish this salvation. And so he wouldn't, not only did he not need their help, he would not accept their help because to God alone goes the glory. And so Hagar's child was kicked out. And see, this is going to be particularly upsetting to those Judaizers who are there in the church because like the Pharisees before them, they consider themselves to be sons of Abraham, children of the promise. And what Paul is saying is these are not sons of Abraham. These are sons of Hagar, and they're going to be expelled. Remember one time Jesus was being questioned by the leadership of Israel and they say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. We are Abraham's children. And Jesus says, you're not Abraham's children or you would believe what I'm saying. You are your sons. You're the sons of your father, the devil. And they picked up stones to kill him because rebirth, salvation, being in the kingdom of God has nothing to do by the will of man or who you're born, who your dad is, who your mom is. It has to do with the choice and free gift of God, not by works lest anyone should boast. So God did not need Abraham and Sarah's help in order to bring about the promised son through whom salvation would come. It would come through Isaac, it would come through Jacob, it would come through Judah. And the entire Old Testament is dedicated to teaching us two things. One, Israel was lousy at following God, but two, God was always faithful to them. Always faithful. Israel is no better than any of the nations surrounding them. If you don't believe me, just read the book of Judges or anywhere in the Old Testament for that matter. The only hero in this scripture is God. No one else there can you count on. Only the Lord. So Abraham and Sarah had a scheme, but here's the heresy. And this is what I'll call today the heresy of helping God. Some of us need to hear this word today. The heresy of helping God. God does not need your help. 
You do not need Abraham's help. You do not need Sarah's help. God does not even want your help. When we do God's will, we aren't helping God. God is helping us. He is allowing us to do the things which he wants to do. We're not helping him out. He does not need our help. He is God. And that's the problem with the false teaching that crept into the church at Galatia. And it's the problem with the false teaching that can creep into your heart. It is an attempt to help Jesus Christ out with your salvation. Hey, Jesus, the cross and everything you suffered there and the resurrection are great. But look what I did. I went and got myself circumcised so I would be acceptable to you. That's not a child of promise. Hey, Jesus, I've been a good boy. I've tithed and I've been nice and I went to church and I didn't yell at my wife much. I didn't yell at my husband much. I've tried to do good by my children. I've given them whatever they need. I've raised them up. Look what I've done to help me become a good person to be saved. That's the heresy of helping God. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't want your help. He will not accept your help. The difference between the child of Hagar and the child of Sarah is this. Hagar was Mount Sinai. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the commandments of Moses. And Moses says, if you don't live by these commandments, he who does these commandments shall live. He who does not do these commandments shall die. No one does those commandments. No one, no one by works will be justified before God. So what is a child of promise? A child of promise is a baby born to a woman who's nine years old. A child of promise is someone who comes not by the will of man, but by the power of God. A child of promise is someone who is utterly helpless, dead in trespasses and sin, is made alive by God Almighty, has nothing to do with the dead person. Nothing. A child of pro a promise is someone who is regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, not when they're looking for God, but when God is looking for them. Not because they stepped out in the aisle to meet Jesus, but because he came in the pew and got them. That's the difference between a child of promise and a child of work. You didn't do anything, anything to be saved. And you will never add one thing to it. Never, never. Because your faith is counted to you as righteousness. You believe God, it will be counted to you. The works which will be yours in heaven will not be yours. They will be Jesus' works. Why would you swap yours for his? He does not need your help. You don't have to be a, your, your goal is not to be a good boy and a good girl so you can help God out in order to save you. Being a child of promise means this, being accepted, by accepting the fact that you are deeply and unconditionally loved by God Almighty and that He has bent His will to save you and that nothing can stop it. Nothing. His love will conquer your sin. His love will conquer your works. It will conquer everything. He will never, ever stop pursuing you. Not now, not in a million years. He will be constantly revealing Himself to you. He will always call you beloved daughter, beloved son. You sinner, God has accepted you unconditionally. And it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It would stun those Jews who were teaching, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to follow the law of Moses. And Jesus, I mean, Paul says, no, they don't. Because these people are born of miracles just like Isaac. These are people far from the covenant of God, far from the people of God. Didn't know a thing about Abraham, didn't know a thing about Isaac, didn't know a thing about Jacob, didn't know anything about Adam or creation or even God Almighty. And he's come down from heaven and found the uncircumcised folks and given them the Holy Spirit because they're children of promise like Isaac. It's a miracle. It's not of works. That's how he found you. That's how he knows you. That's how come you're a child of the king, not because of you, but because of him. 
And this love that never fails, this understanding that nothing in heaven on earth or under the earth or below it or life or death or angels or principalities or this present darkness, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Embracing that would change you forever. There's something in psychology, and you may have all suffered from it. It's called imposter syndrome. You ever heard of imposter syndrome? I'll tell you what imposter syndrome. Here's the Wikipedia definition. Imposter syndrome is a pattern in which an individual doubts his or her accomplishments and has persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. People get this. I remember when I graduated from college. <laughs> I remember it because yesterday I went to see my counselor. And, you know, they tell you what classes to take and that sort of stuff. And she sat me down and she said, okay, Brad, you need to take these three classes. And then you'll be done. And I was sitting there and I thought, what? I'll be done. Like, I might have a degree in English lit. I don't know anything. I've slept through a lot of my classes. I don't know anything. I felt like I did not deserve this diploma which they were giving to me. Now, whether or not I did, is just go with the illustration. You feel like you don't deserve it. You feel like you don't belong. And you feel like other people have done things maybe that make themselves uh, more outstanding or better than you. Downplay your own. Can't understand why you're there. Afraid you'll be exposed as a fraud. This happens to parents. You're a bad parent. You're a bad dad. You feel like you've completely failed your children. You feel like... I was a mom, I'm not a good mom, I've completely failed my children, even though you've dedicated your love and your life to them, you feel like you haven't done enough. This is an imposter syndrome. And that can strike everywhere, and it especially can strike you in your faith. There's no way that I could be a child of God. There's no way that I am living the Christian life the way I'm supposed to. I should be doing more. Maybe I should go, maybe I should go on a mission trip. I've not done anything much for the Lord. I'm not a good child of the king. I need to work harder. I need to do better. Guess what? A mission trip won't, won't save that. It won't cure that problem. Only faith cures this. And only faith can lift that fog. It would, circumcision in the Galatian church wouldn't help them feel more like they're children of the king. In fact, if they went through a circumcision, Paul's going to say, you've fallen from grace. And once you, fall, and once you start going down that road, brother and sister, you will forever and ever live in doubt. You will never be satisfied with your works. You will never feel that the love of God is yours because it is not earned by works. You must just accept the fact that God loves you as you are, that he died for you while you were yet a sinner. That is the way of salvation. And that God takes old sinners like you and me and makes them into holy children, not by their works, but because of his will. Don't you understand? This is freedom. This is freedom. Just believe God. It will be counted to you as righteousness. That's the gospel. That salvation will save you from so many things. This is the precious fruit of freedom. We got the heresy of helping God. Now we need the precious fruit of freedom. Why is it so important to understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone? Because it brings joy. To know that you are loved, to know that we are loved unconditionally and forever by the sovereign God of the universe means we will never die, we will never be forsaken, we will never be left alone. Never. And knowing this kind of love means that repentance will be real and natural and not fake and forced. 
How does love do this to us? Because His love is so embracing when we understand who we are, sinners who are lost, not seeking God far from Him. He comes to get us, wakes us up from the dead and says, Come with me, son. Come with me. And you say, I don't know if I can come. You say, I didn't, I'm not really asking. You're coming with me. Because I love you. With an everlasting love. I've made the stars in the sky to shine for you to give you seasons. I've made the moon so that you can see at night. I made the sun so you could live. I made the plants so you could eat. I made the animals so you could eat. Everything here is because I love you. And you are going to reflect my glory. And I know you're sinful. And I know you've done things to violate my law. And I'm going to make you like my son. And you know what happens when you understand the all-embracing, encompassing love of God for a sinner? It burns away our sin. Love is what changes us, not our determination not to sin. It's love that drives out all those fruitless passions which once dominated our hearts and minds. It is love that makes us understand that we do not need to seek the respect of men, but only the love and approval of God. And how do we find that? Just by believing what he's told us he'll do. Joy like this will make a difference to those who are trapped still and trying to prove themselves to God and man. They will wonder how we can be so free. They will wonder how we cannot worry. They will wonder how we do not have fear of death. They will wonder how we do not fear abandonment. Because we have a God who, when everything else is gone, He will never leave nor forsake us. Even when death comes knocking, He will be with us to our last breath. And when we wake up, we will wake up 